everybody, and welcome back to Ring Thinking Supply Chain. This is Diana Chen, and I'm here with your host, John Abrams. And on this episode of the podcast, we are going to be talking all about the GDSN. So, John, why don't you just kick us off by telling us what is the GDSN? So it's an acronym uh, for uh, Global Global Data Synchronization Network, and and the uh, the I, I guess I'll say it most simply: when when manufacturers want to share information with others, in particular a retailer, in the '70s, what they would do is they would publish "quote unquote" that information into the GDSN. The GDSN acts as then a pool of product information. And so you imagine that you're a manufacturer and you've got all this information about a product, like the description of a product or or uh, some, some supply chain attribute, like the weight of a product. And so you put all this information into the GDSN and then if a retailer wants it, they pull it out of the pool. So um, pool is kind of <laughs> an, an appropriate term because you dump in the information on the manufacturer side and you scoop it out on the retail side. And the reason it has the funky name of the Global Data Synchronization Network, uh, GDSN, is that back in the in the seventies, the idea of a global internet or a a um, a network that connected everyone it didn't really exist in the world of business. So so there were connections that were point to point telephone lines essentially that would connect a a manufacturer to a retailer, and there were fax machines. I think there were fax machines. The 70s, I was still kind of in grade school. So uh, uh, it's a little unclear to me exactly when we moved from uh, away from stone tablets to fax machines. But I think it was somewhere in the 70s. And then by the 80s, people were starting to talk about networks. Um, and so in these early days, the idea of a pool of of information was interesting was different and it it came to be called the GDSN because they wanted to emphasize that it was global that's unique uh in the in the 70s uh data which is also kind of interesting because data it was a relatively new thing as applied to technology and computers and and such uh, synchronization, they they wanted to key on that term because if you have all this information, do you know that it is actually updated? So, so the idea of calling it a synchronized pool of information implied that it was somehow more robust or more uh, up-to-date than something that just got updated uh, six, eight, 12 months ago and you didn't you didn't know if it was uh, if it was up to date and global was really hard to do uh, it's hard to think back in the age of the internet to a, an era where you had information in a database that was unique and specific to that database and wasn't shared or couldn't be globally accessed so 
the GDSN, the, the acronym itself is really fascinating to me because it shows just how it shows or reflects the era in which it was, uh, was conceived when global, uh, data and synchronized information were all unique and, and you had to kind of call it out. And today it's sort of, well, that's interesting, but we still in the GDSN rely on these old principles of, uh, of how data used to get, uh, uh, transmitted. And, uh, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's still alive. It's still active. Uh, many manufacturers use it. Many retailers use it. Uh, interestingly, most of these folks, uh, whether you're on the manufacturing or the retail side, they have a set of challenges. And maybe you can suggest, because I've been rambling for, for a bit here, you know, we can go lots of different ways with the GDSN, like how it's being used today. But I just thought I'd start with uh, the very definition of the acronym GDSN. It's a it's a pool of information. It was created in the olden days, in the 1970s. And most of the architecture for that data pool is still in play today, which creates its own set of problems and challenges. So we can go into uh, the problems and challenges. We can we can talk about where the GDSN might go, which which is <laughs> which, which is a lot of speculation. Or, or we can go down some other path. Uh, so, what's your thought, Dana? No, that, that's a great background and primer on GDSN. I think I, I do want to touch upon all of those things, but I think the, the first thing I kind of want to go into is you've given us this history of the GDSN, how it was developed back in the 70s. I'm curious, how is it being used today and where do you see it going in the future? It kind of it sounds like this cool thing, you know, from back in the 70s, but like how how is it going to be a cool thing? moving into the future. So I I don't know how it's going to be a cool thing moving into the future. And so, um, that, that's kind of a, a fun place to, to speculate the, how it's being used today is, is sort of interesting and sort of unmasks some of the problems of the GDSN. So, uh, so I, I do want to pay, pay tribute to the GDSN because it, it got us, in terms of supply chain, a long way. It was really groundbreaking back in the 70s. It was a much more efficient way than a fax machine or a telephone call to broadcast information about your product. So if you needed to get product information to your retailer, there weren't a lot of ways to do it back in the 70s. And and so the the data pool that GDSN was was really groundbreaking. And what's uh, what's what's happened since those early days? And uh, uh, not not to go down too different uh, trajectory, but the GDSN really was the result of uh, a number of different groups coming together to help improve product information and and make it more efficient for both retailers and manufacturers and so if you if you go back into the history books and look at who was supporting and who architected you've got academic institutions you've got various retailer groups you've got various manufacturing groups and some tech groups and those all came together 
to create the ability to put information into a database that could be synchronized across the globe. And that, in the 70s, really groundbreaking stuff. So, so I do want to pay homage to, to the, the great work that was done back then. But what's happened is that uh, as, as those groups kind of came together and they formed uh, their own uh, not-for-profit entity, that entity is called GS1, the Global Standards Organization. And I, I'm a big fan of standards. Uh, I, I helped implement standards at Cardinal Health back in the day. And so standards are really fundamental we're really a foundational element of, of all of supply chain. It allows supply chain to move without uh, as much friction. So the standards body, GS1, which is uh, kind of an evolution of a diff- number of different groups, they now operate the GDSN. And uh, I won't get into the, the politics or all of the detail, but you have this not-for-profit running the data pool that is now directly affiliated with how you get things like a barcode on on your product. So you have to license a set of numbers from GS1, and then those those numbers, which represent your organization in some form or fashion, and where the product is manufactured in some form or fashion, all of that information is sort of now tied to the GDSN, under the umbrella of the GS1 organization. So what you have is this organization, it's a not-for-profit, but who makes money on the uh, on the very existence of the GDSN. So you have this you have this relationship between a not-for-profit that's focused on governing standards, which is good and and a wonderful thing, sort of convoluted with the daily operation of a data pool, which is sort of displaced by the era of the internet. And so uh, it's important to, to think about this relationship between global standards, uh, a global good, and a data pool that's kind of been displaced by technology. So it's, it, it's um, so where it goes, uh, so it's important to understand how it, it exists today. It exists under the umbrella of GS1, a great organization, and one that I sat on, on uh, the board of for several years. It's important to understand how it it is owned, quote-unquote, and how it's governed and how it generates a, a financial return. And then to try and speculate from there, its future gets really kind of interesting because the technology itself, a synchronized database, is it's not only passe, it's irrelevant. So if you think about today, if I want to create a global database, I go to AWS, I rent some space in the cloud, and all of a sudden I have a global database, very clean, very simple, very flexible. And the GDSN is just the opposite. It is distributed it has uh, ownership or is heavily influenced by various member organizations in different parts of the world and is governed sort of differently in each part of the world. So you, you have this database run by committee uh, serving a standards organization that is profoundly academic in, in how they define an attribute and all of that, 
again, standards are good, uh, but it takes a lot of effort to agree globally on a standard. And so uh, the GDSN is influenced by all of this and is, um, is, is sort of slow, is sort of outmoded based on, on where we are with tech today. And it's very hard to imagine how we pivot the GDSN into the modern era. And there are lots of different initiatives uh, within the GS1 organization to modernize it. Uh, but I don't, it's very hard for me to see how that happens in a way that keeps pace with the demands for product data uh, by the consumer today. I can definitely see how it's hard to speculate where it's going to go in the future, and it'll definitely be interesting to see where it actually does go in the future. There is a, you know, it, there is a, a place, though. Um, I know you're, you're, you were just on the verge of getting to another question, but I, I do want to point out the sort of misuse of the GDSN today because it is it is important to sort of point out. Not only do we have these artifacts from the 1970s that challenge the GDSN and, and its operation. But you also have manufacturers and retailers who, between themselves, agree that they're going to use a field for something it was not intended. So let's say there's a field in the GDSN, I'm just making this up, that is a GS1 attribute, and let's call it a highlight color. I think that is a fictitious attribute, but it, it sounds real. So, uh, so we'll use this as an example. Let's say highlight color is not used by your organization. Let's say you are a, you grow lettuce. So you manufacture this lettuce product for retail sale. And a highlight color, that's not an attribute that you use because there is no highlight color for, for lettuce. But let's say you are selling lettuce to a major retailer, and that major retailer needs to know if your lettuce is, uh, let's say it contains, if it contains genetically modified ingredients. So this is an important field. It's one that the retailer wants. It may actually be a real field, but, but, um, but let's imagine that it doesn't exist in the GS1 uh, attribute set. And so what you have uh, happening today is that a manufacturer and a retailer will agree to use a real field called highlight color within the GDSN governed by GS1, and you will populate highlight color with something uh, that is important to the retailer, important to the manufacturer, but it's genetic information now contained in the pool field called highlight color. And so you've bastardized the use of the GDSN, which should adhere to GS1 standards uh, governing what an attribute is. And now you've populated the pool with incorrect information, important information, important to the manufacturer, important to the retailer, but you've now polluted the pool. And once you pollute the pool, much like if you, uh, if you pour dye into your local swimming pool, that dye will persist. That dye that that dye harms or looks like it harms that that common utility of of the swimming pool, um, and you sort of can't take it out anymore because now it's been synchronized, it's been shared, and while your relationship with the Goliath retailer may be 
uh, good and you you are now trading based on the information you're putting in the highlight color field, you've harmed your information for anybody else that uses or extracts from that pool. So it is important uh, to recognize that today the GDSN is being sort of abused and they're doing it uh, for a number of good reasons. But it it undermines the strength of the GDSN to begin with. And I'm not sure how you recover from that. Very interesting. That's very interesting stuff. Uh, I feel like we could really get into the nitty gritty of the GDSN way more in depth. But I do want to go back to one thing you mentioned sure. earlier. You, you touched upon that there might be, you know, obviously the GDSN has brought a lot of good to the supply chain world, but you mentioned that there might be some criticisms as well. Can you kind of just give us a high level overview of some of the main criticisms uh, of the GDSN that are out there? So I, I think the criticisms, um, the, the net good is important. We wouldn't be able to have come as far with, with barcodes and many of the other supply chain benefits, uh, supply chain efficiency benefits that have emerged by uh, the fact that standards exist and persist uh, uh, between manufacturers and retailers because of the GDSN. So standards are good. Persisting those standards through a data pool is also good. But the GDSN as a pool suffers from both technical challenges, meaning it was created in a non-internet era for a non-internet approach to to data and sharing that data. And so architecturally, from a technical standpoint, it's very hard to imagine how how to fix that. It's a a massive challenge, uh, one that people are working on, but it's hard to imagine how that gets fixed uh, very quickly. And that quick, uh, that, that retail speed element is, I think, the, the primary criticism for the GDSN is that for the GDSN to represent a product attribute, so we were picking on genetic information, that's really important information. People didn't really care about that 20 years ago. They care a lot about it today, especially for food products. Um, but there are there are consumer questions, consumer needs to um, to understand product details in a way that never existed before. So consumers believe, and for the most part, they can uh, inquire about a product and get the detail on their handheld device instantly. And, and that information really needs to originate with the manufacturer. So you, you have this uh, thirst for information by the consumer for attributes and fields that uh, manufacturers didn't even imagine 20 years ago. And now you have consumers demanding that in real time all the time. And the GDSN, because it is, it is governed by a standards body, that is largely academic in its framework, the G- GDSN is very slow to add new fields and add consumer-relevant fields. That doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of good fields out there or that uh, uh, manufacturers aren't using uh, the majority of the fields. Most of the GDSN uh, fields, attributes that are defined by the GS1 body 
most of them aren't used, but uh, that doesn't mean that consumers don't have a thirst for rant, sometimes seemingly random product attribute information. And the GS1, as a sort of academic framework for authoring the detail behind what does weight mean, uh, uh, what does color mean, what does image mean, all of that is very important stuff and a very, very useful role for the global standards body, GS1. But it's very slow. And if you just say, give me genetic information, uh, GMO information about lettuce, that seems a simple ask, but it has to be defined and then it has to manifest uh, over time and usually a long period of time into the GDSN once GS1 has defined it. So you have this, I think the, the biggest uh, criticism is speed, that the GDSN does not frequently enough update the attributes that retailers uh, are demanding from manufacturers, that consumers are demanding from retailers. Uh, so you, you have this... Uh, time element where consumers expect uh, all my, uh, what seems to be random information about products, demanding it in real time, and retailers are trying to keep up. And the GDSN, which is slow to update and slow to manifest uh, that information, uh, you have the speed element that is really, really harmful. And so uh, I, I I, I wonder if if the GDSN itself doesn't get bypassed by manufacturers going directly to retailers with with a, a ton of information that may not follow all of the rigidity, all of the guidelines of, of GS1, but is moving that information more quickly than what they can do through a data pool through the GDSN. Gotcha. Well, John, thank you so much for giving us that overview of the GDSN. I think we all learned a lot from this episode. And thank you all for listening. And we will be back next time on the Rethinking Supply Chain podcast. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Supply Chain podcast. It's brought to you by Venzi, Intelligent Product Content Distribution for Enterprise Commerce. Learn more and say hello to us at venzi.com. That's V E N Z e.com.